I'm Mari Hadbai, Head of Programs at BAFTA. Welcome to this System Crashes Q&A. Um, we are joined by the director, Nora Fingscheit from Vancouver. Um, we will be doing um, about a 45 minute Q&A. Please do feel free to kind of ask questions during the Q&A, uh, using the Q&A option and I'll get to your questions. Um, I'm going to start, first of all, with asking Nora about how the film began, the thought process. I believe you were actually planning to make a documentary and you stumbled upon what a system crasher was. Yeah, so that was um, during another project. Uh, so my background comes from fiction. Uh, so my first short films were all fiction films. But then after a few years in film school, I kind of, I had a, not a frustration, but I really was curious to sneak out and, and do something different. So um, we made this portrait of a, a home, a shelter home for homeless women in the south of Germany. For one year, we went to that institution and we portrayed the, the, the women who lived in that place. It was a rather depressing place, like a dead end of life. And then one day, a 14-year-old girl moved into this institution. And I was so shocked by that fact because I thought, what is a teenager doing here? And the social worker said, oh, well, it's the system crashers. So we can always take them in on their 14th birthday because no institution in the whole country dares to take that girl in. So that was the moment when I first heard the term and when I immediately thought, okay, now I want to go back to fiction and write a fiction film about it to transport the energy. And I always wanted to make a film about a very kind of energetic and wild little girl, but I didn't know that it would be so wild. I imagine kind of casting Benny must have been um, a huge undertaking. She is in every single scene of the film. Um, I want to know first of all, when you're writing it, if you had a picture of someone in mind, and then if that turns out to be kind of, I believe it's Helen <laughs> Hazer, if that's kind of what we see on screen as well. Yeah, so I, I did have a picture in mind, but my Benny during writing, and there was a long time, about four years um, that it took to, to actually start shooting. And I always thought of this kind of skinny, dark haired girl. And then on the first casting session, I met Helena, and she was totally different, but there was something so fascinating and so special about her and her white hair and this almost translucent skin um, and very cinematic also. Um, so during that process, yeah, Benny changed a lot, of course. And so I imagine kind of then obviously writing specifically, did you write for someone that was of that age, kind of a nine-year-old? And then obviously, how did that work in terms of kind of finding Benny and then trying to get kind of that certain age and get it in play before, you know, you start shooting. Yeah, so um, the casting process um, started very early. So one year before shooting, we started to cast the first girls because I was so scared that I would not find the right actress. And I thought like, even if we find the right girl, probably the parents won't allow it. Like I would my son allow to to act in such a film probably if he came uh, with such a script. I mean, fortunately he's not a child actor, but um, yeah, I, I was really worried. And usually one year before is too soon because kids change. Like it, it, within a year they can look completely different. But 
however we started that early and then she was the seventh girl on the very first casting round and it was immediately clear that she's very special but still i i thought it can be so easy so we casted i think 150 more girls in schools in sport clubs like in martial arts sport clubs i thought that probably benny um I, I will find her maybe like in a karate club or so, but yeah, in the end it was Helena. Um, you mentioned kind of um, the casting, so much of Benny and kind of how she is in the film relies on the other key central relationships that she has. And I'm wondering, casting those other roles and kind of chemistry testing kind of with Benny with those other actors, kind of who came first? Was it Benny or was it perhaps the character of Misha and you know, then if then how did you work with them together? Yeah, um, okay, so um, first it was Benny. So with Helena, after our first casting round, it took, I think, one or two more casting rounds before we really decided, okay, we're gonna make the movie together. Um, and then six months before shooting, we started to, um, to rehearse and to get to know each other and to prepare the role. And all part of that preparation was um, her being part of casting the other adults. So um, when, I when I found somebody who was my favorite for a part, then he or she would play with Helena so I could see the chemistry between them. And this process, um, although it was a very long one, it also helped her understanding Venice Universe piece by piece because then she could already tell like, oh, that's the doctor and she's nice to me and there's educator Mark and I hate him. And um, that is Miss Stephanie and she's kind. So when we started shooting, then Helena completely knew Benny's universe. And she also knew the differences between her and Benny because that's what we put a lot of focus on. Not like you when you work with adults, it's always about finding the, what you have in common with the role. And here we would always go, for example, have ice cream together and then we would write a list and say okay how does Helena behave now and how would Benny behave so that she would really separate um, the two personalities. Yeah, I guess that is so important particularly obviously not only with child actors but with this role in particular she goes to some Benny goes to some really kind of dark dark places that not even a lot of adults would ever have to go to or experience and kind of she, in moments she's angelic and in other moments you can just, she turns into the rage takes over. And I wonder how you worked with Helena kind of to get that, that incredible performance out of her, but also on the other side to know how to leave it, kind of leave it on the set so it wouldn't impact her kind of in her everyday life. Yeah, so um, I mean, first of all, during this preparation or even before we actually said, okay, we're going to make the movie together, she read the script with her mom and the script was pretty much like the movie is now. So there wasn't any scene that came up during shooting, but it was very written. So um, because to a certain degree would also be kind of how to say that it would not be so easy to let her improvise in the role because I always wanted to have the, the separation. So yes, of course she could work freely with the dialogue, but after all, it was very planned and clear and in a secure framework. 
So she read the script and she had a bunch of questions, but she still wanted to play the part. And then slowly by slowly through the castings and the scenes that we did during the casting, she got an understanding of, of Benny and the character. And then when we started shooting, we always rehearsed the evening before. So um, that she could have a safe space where just the other actors, our DOP and I were, and she could ask all her questions. There was no time pressure like you have on set. And then the shooting day um, itself was usually very short because with a nine-year-old in Germany, you can only work five hours and I think plus 45 minutes lunch break. Uh, you do have exceptions, but maybe just once per week that you can work eight hours. So usually the days are very short. So when she came to set, the scene was rehearsed. She had asked all her questions. And then we would really work almost, yeah, like with professional actors because um, she's very talented in that way. And she can probably because she did very, for a long time, professional ice skating. So she's very used to getting directions um, and adjust and change something. And she she's very strong physically. Um, and then of course, you know, when I had to push her to go further for some scenes where she has to scream a lot, I tried to approach it in a playful way and say like, okay, um, you have superpowers. And although you're nine years old, you can, um, no, no adult can force you to nothing. Like, um, you're the one who has the control in the room, so show them that they should be afraid of you. And then she was like, oh yeah, okay, yeah, I'm gonna show them. And more about this side than more about the positive or playful. Um, or even, for example, when she's like um, tied up, you know, under medication. Um, when I worked with her, she was tied up. And then I asked like, how long can you hold your eyes open without blinking? And then she was like, yeah, I think I can, can count to, 15 and then she counted to 15 and it worked and then we said okay let's see can you count to 20 so that was how we worked on the scene and of course then if you cut it together and you put music it's very dramatic whereas sometimes on set it's it's not it's just movie cheating <laughs> i kind of think i guess a lot of that comes at stoic kind of discipline you mentioned obviously kind of she was trained to be a professional ice skater so kind of even that discipline for a nine-year-old and everyday life is a discipline that most kind of children don't have so i'm sure that kind of lent itself quite well to kind of having um being on set and having to stick to a schedule and kind of being quite stoic in a performance um in terms of looking kind of the finer details of a performance we see her we see the external world and we see the world kind of through her eyes but it's always at a, you know a, a step away and then there's moments you let us in completely when she's about to lose control kind of the filmmaking the techniques you use slightly change that you uh, you know it becomes a little bit more abstract and we become more involved and can kind of see how she's descended into this chaos really quickly um do you want to talk about some kind of the film references you use and how you kind of switch kind of those certain moments when we can see that she's actually just going to explode and lose control yeah so the film references you mean like comps like films that we saw that inspired yes this? if you um, did yeah i mean throughout the year since the development process was such a long one it took like the research 
I spent so much time in institutions and I worked at children's home and child psychiatries, you know, and shelters and um, emergency places for kids. So during this period, it was always kind of, it went hand in hand, the writing, the research, but also watching reference films. And there is like a complete canon, we say in German. I don't know, do you have that word in English? Like a canon, like there is almost, um, yeah, a bunch of movies about that theme <laughs> throughout the film history, you know? It starts very, very early that like Le Quatre Cent Coups, the Truteau, you know, and, um, and, and each generation and each country kind of deals and there are fantastic British films as well. Um, and and, and it, one especially that kind of st stuck with me. So we watched maybe hundred films who, that have to do with the theme itself. Mm -hmm. And there is a film from the eighties, um, which is called Made in Britain. And uh, Tim Roth is playing a young skinhead, like a young neo-Nazi. And I mean, he's much, he's much older than Benny, but this film really made an impression to me because it's such a radical character. It's like he doesn't change and he's the main character and you as the, as the audience, you're desperate with him because you're like, oh my God, you're ruining your life. You know, you have the potential of being a, a smart boy, like what's happening? And, and this film is complete, there's absolutely no compromise until the end. Probably the film is much more radical than our movie, but that's, for example, um, yeah, that was a film I always remembered, you know, when, when I thought, oh, are we being too nice now? Or so, um, and then your second question about this kind of abstract stuff. Yeah, it was always in the script um, that I tried to write something though in the script, it sounded really cheesy. It was like, oh, she's in this dark well and then the walls are melting and some dark liquid um, runs uh, over her and it was horrible. And everyone said like, Nora, please take it out. <laughs> you know? And I said, well, let's use it as a stand-in so we don't forget to shoot some abstract material that we just don't make this clear genre social drama. Let's 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 be a bit more playful. Let's try and, and, and go into her trauma and into her feelings. So after those five hours and 45 minutes that we had with Helena, she then went home or she had to do um, school and, uh, and we were left on the film set with a bunch of you know, props and, and a camera. So we started to do experimental stuff with like macro lenses. And, and then we put, since we had no money, we had to invent cheap film tricks. So we filmed like close plastic lamps where you could change the colors and where we put like some kind of jelly mass or, or glass blocks in front of the camera to distort the picture. And we created hours of kind of nonsense footage, which then our editor in, a, in this masterpiece, he put it together throughout the eight months of editing. He tried and tried and tried. And once we thought, okay, now we found something interesting. Uh, we of course worked with the sound sound engineers and so it was a back and forth process and a lot of trial and error um also in terms of kind of the look and the aesthetic of the film um helena who plays benny she's so striking and mm -hmm. she has such a certain look and i can imagine kind of once you found her certain things would have had to change in terms of the color palette you decided to choose and kind of to influence kind of not only who she is as a character but to look at mood and the way that she reacts to things. Um, I just wanted to know a little bit more about kind of, yeah, once you found her, how that then influenced the look of the film as a whole for you. 
Yeah, so since we had this um, immense time of preparation, these six months, sometimes uh, I met her, I think, once or twice a week, you know, and some, it wasn't always like, okay, now we work. Sometimes we just also did fun things, and most of the time our DOP was with us, so they would also get to know each other, so that at some point she wouldn't even notice that he's filming her. So um, he always took pictures of her in front of different walls. You know, in Berlin, you have lots of graffitis everywhere. So you can go like, oh, stand in front of this color, in front of this color. And we started analyzing, like, what makes her stronger and what makes her weak and what could be Benny's color palette. And it was always clear that she needs, of course, strong and warm and um, powerful colors. But for example, Helena on, with pink, she gets a lot of energy, whereas red makes her really pale. Um, and then we combined red with a mom. So the mom got this kind of red wall in her home. And then we said, okay, always like after she had seen her mom, she wears red. I mean, now that's very theoretical and probably no one cares except us, but you know, so, so we analyze how she works with, with, with the colors. Like, for example, when she's in the psychiatry, when she's un under medication, she always wears this kind of light turquoise colors that almost make her invisible, you know? And it's almost like it's a different personality. It doesn't have the Benny power anymore. Yeah. And so. how kind of with the other children, the films, obviously you've got, yeah, support, an amazing supporting cast of adults, but also yeah, lots of kids as well. And so yeah. kind of imagine that can be quite complex. Compli oh, oh, God. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, God, yes. I mean, a lot of people, it, also part of why it took so long to get the film financed was because it was the first feature and then people read the script and there are like 50 kids in the script. And people were saying like, <laughs> why don't you make a film about like a boy and a girl in Berlin or something, you know, start with something more easy. But it's not so easy because you can't really choose the stories you tell, I think. Like they choose you, you know, because you have to like, something has to fascinate you throughout years. And often something fascinates me, fascinates me for a week, but that's not enough to make a movie about it. And then you have certain topics that have such an internal resonance that you just have to stay, stay with them. So it was clear I couldn't do any other film apart from that. And we had to cast all the kids because that's Benny's world. Like, one children home, next children home. So, um, so yeah, it was, it was a bit of a crazy adventure, you know, in many terms. And I had wonderful support. My directing assistant, Zaika Peschel, she did parts of the children's casting. And then she also always, when kids had to play like a group, she would meet with them and do a little workshop for one hour or two and have them play games together so that they get used to each other a little bit that it's not completely then awkward and of course filming with babies that's yeah. even another chapter <laughs> of things one should avoid for a first feature maybe yeah so uh, but but yes after the shoot I thought okay the next few films probably without kids or babies because the responsibility especially when you have kids yourself is so immense that it, that it can really, like, yeah, I, I had a lot of sleepless nights because I thought, like, what if Helena takes anything home? Or what if this is kind of damaging for any babies? And in the end, it wasn't, you know, everyone was fine. And Helena was super proud and still is. Um, 
and she had a lot of fun, especially with Micha, so with Albrecht, um, but, but it's a bit challenging. Yeah. I wanted to talk about that actually, kind of her, Mika and Benny's relationship. Um, obviously it's fraught with kind of a lot of tension, anger, but at its heart kind of, there's a lot of love there as well. And it's such a great pairing. I know that you talked about kind of the six month rehearsal time, but is there anything specific that you found worked well for them kind of as techniques to kind of create that bond and chemistry? Yeah, actually part of why he became the role, why he, why he got the role wasn't just because he's such a great actor, um, but it was the chemistry between them. So we had several Mikas and they were all completely different and it would have become completely, each Mika would have brought a different movie with him, basically. But her reaction to Albrecht was so, like she was so fascinated by him, you know, and she was so curious. And we made this little kind of improv moments where they had to play hide and seek almost. And she was really kind of crawling behind him and watching him. And then she, she started provoking him, you know, in a playful way. And it was, it was there, there was in chemistry from the very first start between them, uh, which was so beautiful, you know, um, that, yeah, it was, it was very easy for me. I didn't have to create anything because it was there and it was there until the end. Um, and then I know that, um, kind of, you've probably been asked this so many times, but the balance of um, empathy towards her and a dislike of her even, and kind of maybe a little bit abhorrent of the actions that she commits. Um, it's balanced really well, but you, you don't shy away from, you know, making kind of the audience at times really, really dislike her and want to give up on her. Um, I just wanted to know, going all the way back kind of to the writing process, how you kind of created that dichotomy in terms of having the empathy, but taking it to an extreme that I don't think I've really seen in many years, kind of from a, a story that centers around a child. Hmm. Yeah, so it, it, it was a completely ever ongoing discussion that we had through the writing, through the shooting and through the editing. Because in the end, we had even, I think, two more scenes where she was freaking out and throwing kind of huge basket of toys at somebody in the, in the children's home. And it was just too much, you know? We reached a point in the edit where, where, you, as, where, where you really, you, could, you, couldn't, you couldn't stand it anymore. And you really started disliking her. Um, and then for example, the very first scene where she's at the doctors. Um, so in the script, that scene was never at the very beginning. It came somewhere, I think after 10, 15 minutes, and then we put it at the very beginning and it connects you to her because you have like, even if it's just a minute, you see this kind of half naked kid, you know, vulnerable, small, with the bruises everywhere. And next scene, you see her freaking out. So you see what's, what she's capable of, but you have this tiny little moment of connection with her. And this was really like an ongoing process. And we did test screenings, you know, because we, we lost distance, of course, but since there is no real antagonist in the, in the script, you know, the challenge was to write a story where you don't have the good and the bad because it's both in the, in the main character. So um, we have to fear for her from herself. I mean, that's probably wrong English. I don't know how you would say it, you know, but. Yeah, well, she's her own worst enemy. Yes. And, you know, is a 
protagonist and antagonist and kind of master all with myself. Um, I'm going to give people at home maybe kind of a five minute warnings. I know that no, uh, people might be nervous, ask questions, but <laughs> let me know. Um, I really want to talk about the ending. So if people at home haven't seen it yet, kind of step away for a moment, <laughs> but it, it's, it's kind of open. It's open for interpretation. Um, at least I hope it is. And I think it is. Yes. Um, I wanted to know what, what you originally wrote and if it's what we now see on screen. Yeah, so for a long time, the ending in the script was Benny gets sent to Africa, to Kenya, and with the new educator, she disappears behind the passport control. And I think that was the ending until four months before shooting. And then um, a German director called Andreas Dresen, who was kind of my mentor, um, he read the script and he said, like, Nora, what's this ending? Like, you cannot call a film System Crasher and then you just let her disappear behind the passport control, you know? You, 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 you need to end with an explosion again because System Crasher in German, the Systemsprenger means to blow up the system. So it's really like a very energetic world, a word. And I thought, okay, he, he's right. And I wrote another ending where she escapes again in the airport and then the whole airport runs after her, everyone who's there. And then instead of the plane, she flies away. So it read quite okay. You know, it kind of was this, well, what's this ending really mean? But it kind of, it, it, it was fun to read. So we kept it as an ending, but of course we had no money. Like we were of absolute no budget production in the end or very, very low budget. So we could only afford, I think, 20 extras or even less to bring into the, <laughs> into, so it doesn't look like the whole airport's running after her. And we tried to convince people to help us. And of course they had to go and catch their flight. So um, it didn't really work the first part. And then the second part we thought, oh, well, we don't have the money for a VFX. So we're just gonna do the freeze frame. And then everyone thinks that she's flying but it led to 100% of the test audience thinking that she commits suicide, which was not my intention at all. And then came the phase where we just started to experiment and we said, okay, we referenced the beginning where she crashes at the security glass and we say that in the end, she destroys the screen, like the cinema screen or, or, or the TV screen. Um, but yeah, I know that maybe it's just me that reads it that way. And I completely understood also through the Q and A's and the travels throughout the different countries that is so diverse what people see and how they see it. And everyone sees her or his own truth, you know, and nothing is right or wrong. It's like totally fine. I do notice local differences, for example, like um, in Germany, I would say still maybe half of the people um, interpreted like a, um, like, a, like a suicide. Whereas, for example, the screenings that I had in London, I would say just maybe 10% thought it. And 90% had like more metaphorical interpretations. Whereas the Germans in their logic, they're very like, but she ran up the stairs. So she's at least like 50 meters high. <laughs> so she at least must have broken her leg or something. You know, it's funny, but every, everyone sees his or her own truth. It's the first time that I've heard that Londoners are optimistic, but I will <laughs> take that compliment. Um, we've had a couple of questions come through. 
Um, I think you've answered part of this question, but it's from Nick Wright. Um, and he's saying, talking about Made in Britain, you said that nothing happened to the character until right at the end. I was so invested in Benny that I really wanted to know what happens to her afterwards. In your mind, what is, what is she thinking in that final shot of the film? And do you think that she ever changes? Also, please, can we have a sequel? <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah, I mean, a lot of people uh, made, made jokes about sequels and we did all the time on set. We thought like, oh God, Benny in Kenya, good luck, you know. Whoever tries, like, she's probably, um, I, I can't do it. Like, for me, I, I, I can't do a sequel. Like, it, it took so many years and so much energy. Maybe, like, maybe, maybe when, maybe in a few years. For now, maybe I'm really... Sorry? Maybe when she's 18. Maybe, you know. And also, like, for me, Benny's character is so unpredictable. Um, I met System Crashers, and I really love those kids because they're so smart, or most of them are so creative. And, and, and I mean, they drive you crazy, but there's something so fascinating about them that it could go either way, you know. I mean, maybe she gets herself together and she becomes, I don't know, a, a social worker herself, or maybe it goes the tragic road, which I'm not hoping for her. But in my mind, like she survives for a long, long time. No matter if she goes to Kenya or not, she's, she's for, for sure gonna come back, yeah. Okay, we have a couple, another question um, from Beryl Richards. Um, she said she's interested to know how you felt uh, about how disturbed she was required to be to realize the character, given that she was a child. And how did her mother feel about it? Um, how did you achieve the realistic violence with the other children without hurting them? Mm -hmm. So my, maybe that's the easiest question to answer, the last one. Um, so filming stunts is very technical when you do it because you have to split it in so many different parts and then you film like, okay, now we're filming this direction and we're just filming this punch, but nobody gets hurt and it's just this punch and then you turn the camera around and then you film just the reaction, but nobody really gets hurt. So it's very, very technical, um, which is very unemotional. You know, most of the time you have to re remember the kids, you know, to really make an angry expression because they don't feel pain, but they have to act as if they were feeling pain. And then in the edit, edit is this magic, you know, of bringing, bringing the, the, the thing together and then create the illusion of violence. But in real life, it's very, yeah, very dry, actually, very, very technical. Um, of course, the other questions are, are more complicated. So it was an ever ongoing conversation with the mom from the very beginning, even before Helena got the part, I met for, with the mom and then with the mom and her. And of course the mom asked me, so how are you gonna cope with it? Like, how are you gonna kind of protect the kid? And, um, and we spoke a lot about it. And it was like almost like the, the, the triangle of um, Helena, me and Anne, which is the name of her mom, every day after said, like we spoke. And then of course you also, since the days were very short, we had a lot of them. So we had 70 shooting days, which is a lot. It's like five months of shooting. And we had a three weeks break in between so by that time she could go home and have Christmas and New Year's Eve with her mom. And since we like now in two hours, it feels like, oh God, she's screaming all the time, but like splitting these two hours in 70 little pieces. 
leads to some really quiet days and some funny days. And then we try to keep the balance. So after a very challenging day with a lot of screaming, we tried that the next day would be very um, quiet day or a fun day with Micha in the woods or something like that. Okay, more questions. Oh, ah, one more so thing I remember right now. Yeah, it's so long ago. We shot the film two, two, two years ago. So also one thing, I was writing diary with Helena together. Basically, she was writing the diary, but we were sitting together every day after shooting day. So she has this complete diary of 70 pages, um, where sometimes she drew a little picture, what did we do today? Sometimes she was writing something like, what have we shot? What was fun? What did I like? What didn't I like? You know, what was too challenging? Or why was I exhausted? Or whatever, like the good things, but also the bad things. And then a year later, before the premiere in Berlin, um, we met with Micha, with Albrecht, and the three of us, we, were, we read the, the, her diary together, the, the shooting oh. diary. Oh, that's beautiful. Mm -hmm. Did she um, kind of, has, did, uh, now kind of, kind of, obviously there's been a bit of distance in terms of she's grown up a little bit. Um, what were her kind of first reactions? Has she been able to see the film as a whole or was she too young for that? Yeah, she saw the film, you know, but Helena, she's in real life, like she's very energetic and super smart and very, like a very lively kid. Uh, and she saw it the first time, you know, and her mom was, was very emotional and crying, you know, and Helena was more worried about her mom than, but she also, she liked the film. But then when she saw it the second time, she was already bored. <laughs> so that was in the premiere from Berlin. She was kind of sitting under the chair and playing on the, on the ground, you know, because she's that kind of, she, in the meantime, she shot a film with Tom Hanks in New Mexico, you know. Uh, as, as a German kid, I mean, imagine, you know, she's like, one day she's probably going to be an astronaut or in, invent something new for humankind or so. I don't know. The vaccine that we need right now. Exactly. She's going to find it. <laughs> um, okay, we have um, a couple more questions from Nick Wright. Um, at the writing stage, were you thinking with any particular themes in mind? One of my students said for her, it was all about freedom and Benny's ver version of freedom. Yeah, it's, it's true. I mean, definitely like freedom. Yeah, freedom is a, is a big theme, but also like unconditional love, you know, and, and, and a human need for, for unconditional love and what happens when it gets neglected like this dynamic of her mom, you know, that's, that was a tough role to write because you kind of, you just want to point the finger at the mom and say like, what the hell, you know, take care of your kid. But um, for me, it was important to show or, or to describe not this kind of horror mom, but a mom who really loves her kid, but just can't cope with it. And the problem that results of this, like the mom is so fragile and so like, devil in a way she always does what other people tell her to do no matter if it's her husband or her kids or the system you know and and the combination of such a weak mom and then such a strong and energetic kid can be very toxic com com combined with a lot of domestic violence of course um that that you also witness in the film so if the mom would give benny a clear no it would be much easier for benny 
but the mom always says, yes, oh no, oh yes, you come back, oh no, you can't come back. So Benny can never ever, out of solidarity to the mom, accept a new surrounding because she has to fight for going back to her mom. So I think like these circles, that was a theme that I, that I, that I tried to, 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 to wave into the writing, this like closeness and being pushed away and close and being pushed away, you know, I try to give like this wave form to the yeah. to the story. The lines here were continually obviously blurred. There's so even you know, it was, as you write, there was no clarity, and kind of the one thing that a child needs is clarity in a situation. Yeah. Um, some of those scenes were heartbreaking when she was waiting on the pavement, and then she would just get a phone call to say that you know her mum wasn't coming to visit. Yeah. Um. What has the reaction been from people working in the care system? That's from Jim Bradshaw. So I can only speak about Germany. Um, so very good. I mean, of course there are exceptions and people who say like, well, it's not realistic and yes, it's a fiction film and some, some things are described uh, in a too simple way. But I think like the main reaction um, was that people felt acknowledged or they felt seen like in in their struggle and in their like the, to keep the distance to a child um, in order to protect your own family or your own soul but at the same time you have to have to con the connection to the kid if you really want to change something so keeping this balance of distance and closeness is something very very challenging and people have to do deal with that like throughout years and decades of their jobs. And a lot of people felt that this was kind of described very well and that they were, well, usually they're the bad guys who take the kid away from the family. So that's the very easy way how you sometimes see it in, um, in, in, in TV. And, and that's why most of the time they don't wanna see films about their own work. And here it really led to discussions and it led to roundtables and to meetings and conferences because a lot of people are really helpless. What to do with system pressures and how to help those kids and those families. Yeah. Um, you said that you came across um, system crashes the first time when you were um, doing research for your documentary. Have you since um, showed the film to any kind of actual kind of system crashes? Um, and what have they thought about it? Yeah, I mean, a lot of uh, a lot of people now see it on Netflix. I mean, it was in cinemas, you know, and and a lot of people saw it in cinemas. I think six hundred thousand people, which is which is for a German artist movie, really a lot. But I also feel that now that it's uh, on Netflix, it almost reaches like a different group of of audience. So a lot of like teenagers write me, you know, on social media, on Instagram or Facebook or or more on Instagram with the teenagers and some of them are system crashers or ex-system crashers who are now in their 20s and who still struggle so it, it does also happen yeah there's a note also kind of in the uk um the film has official support of the association of child protection professionals um and um you've had influence screenings with the nspcc the police and the association of social workers um so it's kind of been stamped by kind of all the organizations in the United Kingdom as well. Um, someone's been asking about your next project that you're doing and kind of obviously this has been, I can't believe it's the first feature, it's incredible. 
off the back of that, I believe that you've um, kind of got quite an, I don't know if you can talk about your next project, if it's still in the stages where, you know. Yeah, I can, I can talk about it a little bit. Um, so I, I got a very crazy job offer after System Crasher. And it's a feature film for Netflix um, with Sandra Bullock as the lead and Graham King producing, who produced films like The Departed. So um, yeah, that's why I'm in North America right now. I, I had different plans, but you know, life decided this way. And so for me, it's a, it's a great opportunity. Yeah, so right now we're editing. Oh. Um, you okay? Yeah. Um, yeah, also, yeah, I just hit the wrong button and then I didn't see you, but we're still here. Also, just um, being informed as well that the film is being used by the Association of Child Protective Services in the UK as a training film. Oh, wow. Which is oh. incredible. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Wow. Um, I think, yeah, we have time. If anyone wants to send in one last question, I think we've got a couple of minutes left for that. Um, I just kind of, yeah, picking up on kind of what you've just kind of, the great opportunity you've been offered from this first feature. Um, it's, you know, the landscape is changing, hoping for kind of female directors. And I was just wondering kind of off the back of this, if you've noticed, you know, the opportunities perhaps have come a little bit easier for your second feature and they may well have done even only a couple of years ago. I mean, I, I think so. I can't really speak of experience because I, I spent the last 14 years doing like um, short films, middle length films, documentary, like being in a very kind of art housey, low budget bubble, you know, which um, of course has limiting opportunities, but it gives you a lot of creative freedom. Um, so I can't really talk about the before and after, but I do feel like people are definitely um, more open and I know that like for example in, in, in the German film and TV landscape like where, where it goes about the commercial part um, the the structures are still very unequal um, but I, I hope it's changing yeah um, I want to thank uh, 606 distribution who are distributing the film in the UK um, and Nora thank you so much um, for taking part in this BAFTA Q&A um, I hope you stay safe and well um, in Vancouver and hopefully um, complete your next film soon so we can all see it. Um, yeah, and you very, very well. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for the questions, everyone. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. And remember, you can listen to previous BAFTA sessions and podcasts at guru.bafta.org.